Is there anyone out there? If unable to communicate audibly, insert binary code now. There are those who believe that life here began out there. We can rebuild him. Hercules Atlas. These are their stories. Autopilot with Scott Johnson and Tom Merritt. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Autopilot, Season 3, Episode 2. My name is a name I gotta jump ahead for and find. Here we go. My name is Scott. Now he really wants to see the green slime, Johnson, and I'm joined by Tom panel commentary over episode commentary over film commentary because he's meta that way merit by the way I'll be riffing on this episode of autopilot available in cinemas soon (laughs) or downloadable as a separate track indeed Uh, you know what I gotta tell you dude this is I gotta say it up front and early because we're gonna have a lot of really diehard MSTK or MST MST3K there the misties are out there. The misties are out there, and they are watching and they're listening carefully. And I have to, I have to make an admission right up front. Full disclosure, everybody. I was very late to the party. I've only probably seen bits and pieces of a couple to three, maybe four episodes. I've never really sat down and watched any Mystery Science Theater through from, from top to bottom. So I am a super noob when it comes to this stuff. And it's also, I realize it's a, it's a it's a ding on my nerd card. I knew that coming in, right? Now, Tom, you're a bit of a, you know, you're a little bit more a, a fan. You've consumed more of this than I have. Yeah, I actually watched Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Comedy Central. Maybe not from the premiere, but early in the, when it when it first came to Comedy Central, when I lived in Austin mm. uh, and was a huge fan of it, was watching when Joel left and Mike Nelson came in and it was all about, is it going to be as good? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and even when I had moved to San Francisco in 99, I would go to the video store and rent episodes of Mystery Science Theater that I had missed that I hadn't been able to find. So yes, big fan, Definitely not the biggest fan. VHS I or guarantee- DVD? What were you renting? I, I got uh, At that point, it was VHS. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. I think I rented a couple of DVDs, too, but I could only play those in my computer. I didn't have a DVD player yet, mm, mm. hilariously. But yeah, no, there, we are going to get something wrong. We yeah. just get, let's just put that out there right now, because there are Mystery Science Theater aficionados out there way more steeped in what we're talking about. So apologies for the mistakes we're, we're, we are Trying very hard not to make any mistakes in this episode. Yep, but, but we are happy to be digging up this old rock directed by Joel Hodgson, written by him as well. It never aired. Let's get into the introduction. Um, my name is Joel Hodgson, and this is the satellite of love. It's a space station of my own design. All right, for, real quick here, just a note yeah. of uh, production quality. So the, the audio on these clips is pretty lousy today, and it's because uh this this thing never aired and the only time they've really shown any of it was at a panel do you want to explain how that all went down or what that is uh no i i I don't (laughs) well i don't know where it was held is what i'm getting at that place who knows what that was it was probably some sort of con i I could look it up yeah who who (laughs) knows but they're all hanging out there's probably even said on the video but this is the only place you can see it guys there's a youtube video of uh, some of the key players in the original stuff, and they're all talking about it, and Joel's explaining it. 
And it was at the Archon 32 convention in St. Louis, Missouri. There you go. And they're in front of a crowd of who knows, hundreds of people. And on a screen, a projection screen, they show this very short proof of concept. As that's what he referred to it on stage. Proof of concept version of what would become Mystery Science Theater 3000, at least eventually. And the, uh, the, the weird bit about it is, uh, you know, this is all just guys in the audience who are filming this. We found the best quality we could, but it's definitely worth seeing so you can kind of watch this as a companion to what we're talking about today. Aside from all of that, uh, give me more about the the introduction of the show. What where what's where did it premiere? How did we get it? How what, yeah, just just a sort of a brief like Mystery Science Theater three thousand uh, premiered on KTMA in Minneapolis. It uh, was November twenty fourth, Thanksgiving Day, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, it was the first two episodes. Not the pilot that we're talking about today, but the actual first two episodes. Uh, it later aired on the Comedy Channel slash Comedy Central for another six seasons. It was canceled in 1997, but then was picked up by the Sci-Fi Channel and aired for another three seasons until it was finally canceled in August of 1999. Wow. That's, they're like the Futurama of uh, of weird... <laughs> yeah, a little bit, huh? Yeah. yeah, they got canceled and brought back, and then, yeah. Well, and, of course, they have survived as Rift Tracks and Cinematic Titanic. Mm-hmm. Sort of the two different eras of MST3K have gone on to continue to riff thanks to the internet. Yeah, and they're enjoying uh, some measure of success there. Let's get into some of the weirder stuff about this. You know, it's interesting, but this uh, film was made the same year as 2001 Space Odyssey. So that's a bit of that's a bit of interesting uh, trivia there. The movie I think that, that was the one riff that he did in the pilot, right <laughs> I think there. You're right. Yeah. There wasn't much, and there were a couple of moments of of clapping and laughter in the audience where you couldn't quite hear what was going on on screen, and I wasn't sure what was being said. But yeah, it was woefully short on the kind of audience commentary riffing on the film, like you're used to. That was the whole, you know, the, at the the core of this of this show kind of is that. And the movie they're talking about is something called the Green Slime. And Tom, I am desperate to see the green slime now. Okay. That looks awesome to me. It. it looks terrible. Oh yeah. No, it's 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 a perfect example of Mystery Science Theater taking an awful movie and and telling jokes about it. Uh the green slime is uh got one star on Rotten Tomatoes, twenty two percent. Great. And you can find the trailer on YouTube. Apparently you can get a remastered version on Amazon, but I think it's only on DVD. I don't think it's a downloadable. Yeah. That's thing. unfortunate because so that's be, out there. That should be out there for the masses. There is hope for you yet, Scott. All right. I'm, I'm glad. Tell me some more weird stuff that happened behind the scenes here. Joel originally did not have the robots in the theater with him. So those who know Mystery Science Theater for real know that the whole shtick is that Joel, stuck on the satellite of love, has to watch the movies, sits in the theater with the robots, and they make fun of the movie. And that's the fun of Mystery Science Theater is hear them cracking jokes about what's happening in these horrible movies. He doesn't bring the robots in. Uh, there were no mad scientists sending him the movies as would happen in the in the proper series once it actually launched on KTMA. Uh, Joel Hodgson, he called himself by his real name, not Joel Robinson, had built the Satellite of Love himself and launched himself into space. And uh, even if you want to say, okay, well, they changed all that before the first episode aired, you can't find that first episode. It apparently exists in a vault that Jim Mallon, the original producer, has, and he apparently supposedly has posted some segments to the Mystery Science Theater website, but I couldn't find them. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there is no There's there nothing. is no first episode. So this unaired pilot is the, I mean, it, it would always be the earliest thing you can find. But until you find episode four of the KTMA era, you're not going to get to see any uh, anything of how that show evolved yeah, in those first I, I predict we'll eventually at some point, maybe sooner than later, <clears throat> see some kind of, 
omnibus collection. And in there will be this thing we saw in a, in a sure. quality that's better, but also these other episodes you're talking about that have never been seen or that only clips have been released or whatever. It seems inevitable to me that that's one coming. of the biggest problems with mystery science theater, especially those ones from the KTMA days is copyright. Right. Copyright laws are so messed up that even these old movies that they're making fun of and, and arguably transforming with a fair use commentary do not qualify for them to put out without a license. And a lot of people either can't, don't want to put out the license, just can't be bothered to respond to put out a license, mm-hmm. or maybe they, they license them to go out and then they say, no, we want more money now, and then they can't be put out anymore. So it's going it's to take a long time and a lot of legal wrangling or these things have to pass into public domain, which will be 150 years from now. Probably. Yeah, and it's funny because when you watch a riff tracks or hear one, you realize that how careful they have to be to not do much else to resemble uh, Mystery Science Theater. So the guys who created it have to be careful about what they do because oh yeah, that's they a whole own copyright. Player, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's crazy to watch that, but uh, yeah. Weird stuff. It's a great. I mean, obviously, it's 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 got a huge fan base, and people are crazy about it, and it's it's got cult status in a way. I kind of hope none of this ever comes to fruition. That we don't get all these collections, or they don't figure out some of the copyright stuff. That may sound weird, but in a way that that props up cult status and keeps sure. it kind of grassroots and keeps underground. It, keeps it underground. Well, and one of the hallmarks of the early mystery science theater was at the end of the credits, it would say, keep circulating the tapes. And that was one of the ways that it became popular in the early days was people taping it, videotaping it off of KTMA and then handing the tapes around for people to see and get excited and then want to watch new episodes, right? Mm -hmm. It's that whole piracy conversation we have now about BitTorrent making things popular because of easy access. But before there was a BitTorrent and before the internet was used to trade videos, they were doing that, and I was talking to one of them, and I can't remember if it was Frank Conniff or Trace Ballou, where I said something about keep circulating the tapes, and they said, yes, stop circulating the tapes. It's a <laughs> it's copyright violation now. It's, it's not okay. Yeah. You know, and it's just such a change of atmosphere. Sure. It's unfortunate because I kind of miss those days. But, hey, today, now it's things like. Oh, I don't know. What's it like? You know what? Ask the South Park guys how they feel about piracy or how they feel about people copying tapes and passing them around. Their entire empire is based on that on that holiday special getting passed around in college mm-hmm. like wildfire, like a virus. And that's why we have who they are today. And that's why they hate piracy. Or that's why they hate um, copyright so much. What are you going to yes. say? What did you say? I said Heidi Ho. Oh, you all. said Heidi Ho. You were doing the Christmas turd. Nice yeah. job. Thank you. All right. Well, speaking of Christmas turds, let's get behind the scenes. Do you think they can see us, Joel Hudson? Yeah. So all the transmission line is on, isn't it? So uh, quick note on the on the, the, the robots there. Uh, don't you feel like Crow is pretty pretty dead on? Kind of stayed consistent throughout the show? Yeah, and you know what is that Crow is voiced by two different people over the years, and he still stayed consistent. But yeah, he is he is the only one of the bots that sounds in this pilot episode exactly the way we think of him today. Yeah. That's pretty unusual for, for puppet. Even early Kermit doesn't exactly sound like Kermit. No, I completely agree. Uh, all right, let's jump behind the scenes. Uh, what uh, what's going on there? What's going? Yeah, I'll try scene? to keep this uh, as, as short as possible. You can go and, and watch the unaired pilot panel where Joel explains this, but basically he had come back to Minnesota. He was talking to Jim Mallon who wanted to do some kind of last comic standing thing. And Joel said, look, I've got this idea called you are here based on the Omega man. Omega man, by the way, uh, is also 
the movie that is based on that same book um, that uh, oh, Will we, Smith. Uh, I am legend. Yeah, I am legend. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, last guy on earth with a robot companion. He uh, Joel said it was called Rex the robot. And they wanted to be broadcasting from space, uh, and and then it kind of evolved into mystery science theater. So it was still in this unaired pilot. You can see the sort of post apocalyptic tinge to it. Like he says a lot, robots of my own design, and he talks about set, you know broadcasting to Earth these movies. Uh, but I guess he called Trace Ballou and. And Josh, the day before they shot and said, hey, can you guys do puppets? <laughs> they did an all-nighter building the robots. They had one called Beeper. All he did was beep. Yeah. He was replaced in the first episode by Tom Servo, but he was he was a, kind of a similar design with the bubblegum head sure. for a helmet. Then they had Crow and they had Gypsy, but Gypsy's a guy, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, and then uh, I, I, they... They made this 30-minute pilot. They showed it to the the the, the station. Uh, they had selections from the Green Slime. They didn't do a lot of riffing on the film. They just kind of wanted to show the host segments to give KTMA an idea about it. Uh, they created the first doorway sequence, which really is just doors. I like if you've it. seen either the KTMA or the Comedy Central version, it's it's pretend doors that look like they're on a spaceship. But in this unaired pilot, it's like an actual door and then a safe door, and then like it's just cut together. Yeah. Um, and and it's something. One other thing to note about behind the scenes, not particular to the unaired pilot, but to the early KTMA days, they didn't script any of it. They just riffed while watching the movie. Oh wow. And uh, and later on they would script it and they'd still allow for ad libbing but they would they would try to plan the jokes ahead of time so they made sure they had good stuff. Well, a little bit of a confession here. I think part of the reason that the, the what I when I had seen it it didn't stick with me as hard as maybe some people. I felt I I, I was bothered by the fact that the the episodes I saw anyway did feel scripted. I really prefer that kind of off the cuff guys sitting on a couch together screwing around talking about a movie and I wish there was more of a feeling that it was more impromptu and less of a feeling that they had to come up with these jokes sure but then they had to write them and approve them and then use them and that sensibility never sat well with me I think that's my my problem that doesn't well, say it doesn't work for everybody else just watch me. watch the Joel Hodgson Comedy Central era and I think you see the golden age mm. uh, I, I get what you mean and I don't think they sound badly scripted even in the Mike Nelson era but they really hit a sweet spot in that that comedy central era when Joel's still on where they balanced the we're prepared so there's not going to be long pauses where we say nothing uh, but it still sounds off the cuff you know it still Mm. sounds like we're just coming up with this stuff because the problem is go back go and watch the Gamera episode, it's KTMA episode four. I think they usually refer to it as KO4 if you're looking for it online. And there are long stretches where they don't say anything because mm. they, have, they haven't thought of anything. And so I, I feel like the preparation is essential, but it, you're right. It's got, you got to have a balance. And I'm, these guys, if any of these guys are listening, I apologize for even pretending to understand what you do because you've been doing this forever and you, you've nailed it. Right. But you've got to have that balance between, well, we want to be prepared so that we don't just have nothing or we come up with something that's not funny. Right. But then you also want to have enough leeway to make it sound like, oh yeah, we're just we're just coming up with that stuff because you don't want it to sound stilted. I agree. All right, let's talk about what actually happened in this roughly, I don't know, about felt like about a 10-minute pilot if you don't count all the commentary from the stage. So very small and bite-sized, but there was stuff to see. Please tell your president I built these robots. <laughs> okay. I like that. Tell your president. Uh so it's 
you know, I feel like what they tried to do, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they tried to kind of, it was all, you know, we've said it before, proof of concept. So it was like, here's how we're going to introduce it. Here's how we're going to handle the human character and his robot buddies. And then here's how we're going to handle the film part. And then let's go back and show you how we'll do interstitial stuff. Like, I love the helmet thing with the uh, the spinning helmet in his face, uh, supposedly his head going around in circles. I oh, with was, a beeper. Yeah, what a right, great... Right, because they had the running joke of the virus yeah. going on in, in the interstitials. Yeah, and he called it the chiropractic helmet or whatever the heck it was. And it it that was funny. Like, it was a great sight gag. And you could tell these guys had training and things like stand up and... You know, there. I don't know. There was a there was a real quality to that that made me go, oh, I can see, I can see now why people have just as much love for the for the movie riffing as they do the interstitial hanging out with the robots, telling jokes and doing you know sight gags and stuff. And I thought that was really great. Yeah, I don't know if I would have picked this up as a pilot if I were KTMA <laughs> based on this. Although I have to, I have to rewind my brain to whenever this was. I, I think this was 1988. 88, right? 87, yeah. 88. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 1988. We were youngins then, you and I. So at that time, local television was a whole different thing than it is now, and yeah. production values were a whole different thing, and different things were possible. Maybe I would have been more into it. And it's these guys who want to do it for low cost, and it gives me some weekend programming. I'm, I'm into that. I get why the station aired it on Thanksgiving. It was a low-risk time uh, because a lot of people aren't going to be watching television, so you don't want to put up something that you had to spend a lot of money to acquire. But there are those elements. There are those parts where you see the genius that is going to become Mystery Science Theater. And knowing what I know now, I'm really glad they recognize that. Yeah. I mean, imagine. So I I like to think of these things in these terms because these guys feel like innovative content creators in in the wrong time. And what I mean by that is the the copyright stuff being beholden to whatever the station wants, you know, all of these kind of things that that you you have to deal with when you're talking about quote unquote, and I'm sick of the term, but old media. Imagine if these guys would have come up with this idea early in the let's say the aughts when the internet was starting to take off as a social interesting place where you could build you know a piece of content and have it be meaningful. Just imagine where that thing would be now. It'd be really really awesome. Or did those restrictions? And that funnel effect of of constraint, did that refine this thing into what it became for the better, forgetting about copyright and all the problems later. But yeah, yeah. at the time, maybe maybe that was a tighter thing and became tighter because they came to him with a pilot and said, I mean, we don't know any of this, but they could have said, hey, we have this idea. And they said, oh, well, that looks like garbage, but here's about 10 things you can do. And then, then I think we're good. You know, maybe that's maybe that's why that's great. And people remember it so fondly. I don't know. I got real philosophical about it while I was watching. Sure. And there are those moments of genius. Crow is strong. Yeah. Crow is Crow already. Yeah. That, it's kind of amazing that he is like, he is he is ready to rock. Yep. Like they're, they're doing a great job with him. And he is one of the bright points. And the interactions between Joel and Crow show what's going to be brilliant about Joel's character later on and how he interacts kind of blase with the robots fighting this this virus thing you know he he gets a little bit out of his element when he's reacting at first yeah. to the virus happening to beeper and even to gypsy a little bit but with crow that comic timing starts to kick in and you see that brilliance already already blooming and that that comes really quickly. It did feel transposed, so it, didn't it? From like a newer episode, it felt like he was. Um, it's like watching an old Simpsons or something where nobody's voices are just right. Yeah, it would be like one of them having dead on perfect voice. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's it's weird. It's rare, is what I think it is. I don't think that happens very often. 
The other the other point though is we, we, you brought up an interesting thing just now. If they were doing this now, yeah. if they were doing this nowadays, right? right? The idea would be they would do it on YouTube, right? But they couldn't. They could not possibly do this on YouTube oh, because they would have no. to. They would have to show the vid, the, the movies. You're absolutely and you, right. And and the the bot would take them down. So then they'd have to go and maybe do it on Vimeo or Daily Motion. Even if they did it in those places, it's a little less popular, mm -hmm. and they probably would still be fighting all of these copyright violations. It, it, you know, they were able to get away with it then because it was in Minnesota, small market, not too many people looking. And then they jumped to a big one, Viacom, Comedy Channel, and Comedy Central. Yeah. And and now they've got, they've got some protection. They've got some people that are going to license things. Also, people were more willing to license these old movies back then. Yeah. That was the tradition is like, oh yeah, we syndicate those movies to local channels all the time. Of course we'll syndicate it to the comedy channel. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Sure. Even if you want to mess with it, that's fine. We don't really care. Yeah. These days it's like, no, you can't have it. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, it's odd to think that in 1988, there was more freedom to experiment and come up with something like Mystery Science Theater than now. And I think it's shown by the fact that you only have riff tracks in Cinematic Titanic, not a bunch of other people doing this idea, maybe partly because they're the best at it and who would want to try to show them up, yeah. but also because they're the ones who actually know the ins and outs of how this works. Plus, aren't they, I mean, even in their their case today, those guys are doing things like live reads or, you know, live appearances at a, at a big theater. Everybody comes out, buys tickets, they watch the green slime on a giant screen, and then these guys riff on stage while it's going. So that's one way to do it. That doesn't violate anybody's copyright because you got a print of the film and you're in a movie theater and that's people. Well, you have tickets. to have the license to show the film well, publicly. That, that's though. true, but I, so I, I it's, it's it's the same thing. And how does that work? Like, does a I mean, I, I, we probably don't have all the details here, but do the movie theaters just nobody has just a straight up license to show a, a film? You got to. No. You have to get a license to perform every film you want to show publicly. Now, theaters have deals with with distributors that make that easy. Sure, right? Because they're a theater; they're essentially pre-approved. But they, like in this case, but it's probably harder. It's probably harder because you got to find some weird ass thing that's 150 years old and not not that old. But you know, you want to find yeah, some. It's not part of the, the standard. Like here, are the movies coming out this month. Okay, check mark, check mark, check mark. You yeah. got yeah, you got a special order. It. It's really fascinating to me how how. They're even able to continue to do it. But you're right. You're totally right. As free and open and democratized as media creation is now, <laughs> we still have these draconian things that stop people from doing what they would be able to do. And you're that right. Those we guys reduced couldn't. the innovation in mm -hmm. this particular case. Yeah. They'd end up having to do... I mean, this is funny. People never believe me when I tell them this. But when I started FilmSack, I hadn't seen Mystery Science Theater, so I didn't know that there was any similarities. And it turns out there really aren't. What we do on FilmSack is very different than what they do. We're not... And we do live tracks occasionally, but most of the time it's us just talking about the movie, kind of like we are now. It's a bit like autopilot. And if we were doing a thing where we wanted to do live you know, video of the thing playing and then us riffing on it. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine how buried I'd be right now in takedowns. And, well, we wouldn't be doing it is the answer. Right. So, well, like we did with the special He-Man thing that we yeah. did for autopilot. We couldn't show it. Nope. You had to we look at us. Show us. <laughs> You'd only look at us, man. That is not a good way to have TV is all I'm saying. It worked for what our needs, but right. Right. Yeah. It doesn't work in general. All right. Well, there's, there you go. That's essentially it. Let's uh, get straight up to these. Uh, oh, to this rap party. Check it out. Also tell him that I don't like his TV shows very much. All right. Uh, <laughs> I found the actual trailer for the green slime. Uh, oh, you mentioned boy. it earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. 60s era, 68, I believe it was a year before I was even on this earth. And uh, it is 
so much fun that I want to see it. Now, this isn't the entire the, the trailer. This the whole trailer is like three, four minutes long, and I thought I would just get a chunk of it. But this gives you an idea of what you're up against, and imagine the visuals to be just about the worst special effects you've ever seen. So here is some of the trailer of The Green Slime. The lonely, helpless earth. The 21st century. The world of the future. And lurking beyond the cold, strange immensity of conquered space. Growing and spreading beyond the warped imagination of the greatest human intellect. Exploding in unspeakable horror. The Green Slime. The civilized world at war with alien form, whose slimy touch means instant, horrible death. Invaders from beyond the stars, the green slime. All right, and it kind of just goes from there. Now, my favorite part of that trailer was the impromptu sneeze that came out of Eileen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes that, was, that awesome. was not in reaction to the green slime she can't hear she got her own form of green happening. slime over there yeah that's there was a different green slime that she's dealing with <laughs> that was totally awesome all right so there you go everybody mystery science theater 3000 uh the unaired pilot you can see a chunk of it on a link we'll put it in our show notes so you can see what we saw make your own determinations next week it's buffy the vampire slayer speaking of unaired pilots tom yeah man. many people may not realize this yeah. yeah this is the one that uh, joss whedon hates and doesn't want people to see exactly he yeah. really would prefer you didn't that's why watch. so we it. watched it for you so you don't have to piss off joss whedon yeah or see it anyway and who cares because it is a fascinating look at what could have been or what once was the buffy the vampire slayer series and Uh, we'll save our opinions for that next week. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that. You can find us on the web at autopilotshow.com. Why don't you send us an email with your feedback, your recommendations, your thoughts on TV at autopilotshow at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Scott Johnson. Tom is at Ace Detect. And the show can be found at Autopilot Show. It's going to do it for us, for me, and for Tom. We'll see you next time. Keep circulating the tapes. Like you're there!